Hey, good morning. Uh, good after. Good night. You know what? Anytime. Welcome. We're, wherever you're at, wherever <laughs> you're at in the world, whatever time, this is Goopfella time. Hey, man. Do, yes. well, do you do yoga? I do yoga. Do you yoga? I do broga. Ah, oh, I like that. Yeah. That's even better. But yeah, yeah I do. I'm not great at it, but I, I do a mean crow. Do you know what the crow is? Yes, it's I like, do know. Bakasana. I try to to perfect the crow. Uh, yeah, how, how about yourself? Yes, and I, I like what you said, like, I'm not good at yoga. Because I have you ever noticed when you ask people, do you, do you have a meditation practice? And everyone <laughs> says, I'm not good at meditating. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is that none of us are good at it and we're all good at it like you know right. it's it's it, doing the best you can and, and evolving from exactly. it exactly yeah. it's a practice you're right but I, I shouldn't shame my own yoga practice no but I'm i sure just you, did i'm sure you have a beautiful practice i take it back i'm amazing at where <laughs> i'm at now it's perfect for this this moment in my life can you do flying bakasana uh heck no no yeah, neither can i <laughs> yeah but maybe someday yeah yeah you know, I, I recently got to practice yoga with one of my dear friends who is a great yogi. And when I say great, I don't mean great in, in terms of like she can put her feet behind her heads and walk and, and walk around her hands, but she probably can, but she's great in that she's a great human being. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our mutual friend, Catherine Budig, is a yoga teacher amongst other things, but she also has this great podcast called Free Cookies, which I think is a great name, even though, you know, as long as they're gluten-free and healthy and don't have any sugar in them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, cookies that are free are good, man. Yeah, I think man. It's, great. it's but, a great show, a great person. I love this conversation we had with her. If I were to sum her up in one word, it would be ebullient. Mm, that's great. She's a she is a joyous human being. Yeah. Uh, and to hear her story, um, and I knew about it as her friend, but hear her talk to the public on Goopfellas about this is really cool stuff. I think we're going to see ourselves as as listeners. They're, they're going to see themselves in her story of going through life's just movements and just doing things maybe because other people it's what you're supposed to do quote unquote yeah you know it, it throughout the whole conversation it really uh, reminded me of this this quote that my friend mentioned to me we were last um last october i was in tuscany i was on a bike ride with with um i was doing this big bike trip in tuscany with my friends from duvine and uh, i was riding up a really brutal climb with my friend jim and I was having a hard time because I wasn't in the best of cycling shape. And Jim looks over to me and he's, he's got all these great lines. And he says, you know what my therapist said the other day? And I said, no, what is your therapist? I, well, I wasn't there. He said, a groove is an awful lot like a rut. Mm, and good. that has stuck with me. And I think about that all the time. And when we were talking to Catherine, I think that she kind of, for a large part of her career um, or even her life, was in this what she thought was a groove and was probably a rut. And mm. she was able to break out of it. And she talks a lot about that. And she talks about a lot of other stuff in this, in this conversation. So let's just get to it. I'm so happy you're on the show. This is this is happening, guys. This is, we're all talking together. That's it's right. It's happening. Well, and I'm unfortunately not sitting with the boys right now. I'm remote in Charleston, South Carolina right now, but I have this image of you two cocooned <laughs> in love together while you're speaking to me. So it's all good. We're, yeah, we're actually, we're, we're rubbing CBD oil, oil on, on our feet uh, right now. <laughs> I got Will's feet propped up in my lap. And um, it's very goopy. Don't worry. <laughs> 
Exactly. Oh, man. Well, Catherine, we, we just got to spend a weekend together in Charleston. I actually just saw you almost yesterday. Um, I didn't tell you I missed my flight. I'm, I'm an idiot. No way. Not were you too miss- busy eating all the foods or were you taking more no, classes? No, you wouldn't believe it. I was. I went to the airport early and I was sitting at the gate and I was on the phone with a friend who's going through a crisis. And I sat there, I got to the gate an hour early and I literally sat there and watched everyone got on my get on my plane. Stop I watched it. watched the door close and I watched the plane take off. And I was like, "Holy fuck, that was my flight!" <laughs> and that was that. You may have put a little too much CBD oil prior <laughs> to that flight. I know. Oh, you know, I was I was like deep drowning in woo woo from your yoga class that morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you're always welcome to stay in Charleston. Maybe it's a sign from the culinary gods that I, you're supposed to come here. I loved it. It was only my second time in Charleston, but I loved it. The food was amazing. The people are even better, and the weather is fantastic. So I can't complain. Yeah. Um, ding, so, ding ding ding. So yeah, we're we're you know we're talking about metamorphosis and transformation on the podcast, and we're we're exploring this idea of how a moment. And in most cases, a lot of people that we talk to, it's, 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 it's a defining single moment, sometimes a catastrophic crisis that's changed the direction of their lives. But we really wanted to talk to you because I think um, in a way, like for me, I was super sick for a long time with a chronic illness. So it was this kind of low level, like paper cut, not, things aren't, aren't right. And then it did, I did have a cataclysmic moment. And from talking to you and knowing a bit about your story, I feel like there's been, there's some parallels there that there was sort of low level chronic need for transformation. You, uh, for many, many years practicing yoga, uh, struggled with your own um, body image and sense of self-worth and through yoga and through your own practice, um, came to a point of, of, of evolution and transformation, but maybe it wasn't complete. So can you kind of walk us through your relationship with yoga and how you spending time in the, the own amazing body that you have went through periods of loving it and hating it? Yeah, I mean, my transformation has definitely been more of a slow burn than mm-hmm. a catastrophic moment that happened to me. And this might sound really weird, but I sometimes am envious of stories like yours mm-hmm. because I I love stories and I'm a storyteller. So I'm like, oh, and then there's the peak moment that happened. And when I'm telling my story, I'm like, yeah, so nothing really exciting happened. I just kept changing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just, I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm playing the long game is what it really feels like. And I found yoga when I was a college student at the University of Virginia when I really didn't understand myself or anything around me aside from this feels good. I look forward to doing this. Mm -hmm. And then as I was getting closer to graduating and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, decided after talking to my teacher that I needed to move to Los Angeles and study under the tutelage of Chuck Miller and Matias Roddy, who were the co-founders of Yoga Works in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. Again, I had no clue who they were. I just said, yes, yes, yes. I wanted to act. I had been in theater for a long time, so it just seemed like the proper combo. And um, fast forward, trained under them, got thrown onto the scene, and you know picked up momentum and started teaching regularly at one of the biggest studios truly in the world at the time. And then started traveling and started to create a name for myself on the, on the circuit in the world. And mm-hmm. it was amazing because... I mean, let me tell you, I did not go to Los Angeles because I wanted to become a famous yoga teacher. Right. (laughs) I wanted to have an Academy Award, not a yoga mat. And 
but it was a really interesting juxtaposition because very quickly I realized with all the meetings that I took with managers, and I was 21, I was wearing a size two, often a zero. I was a tiny little French fry. Uh And I had people being like, well, at the weight that you're at, you could be the funny best friend. I know it's horrible, but it's true. (laughs) Um, I know. And I was just like, okay. So, I mean, if I could sit down with some of those people right now, it would be like a one of those x-rated scenes from outlander like it makes me so angry when people feel that they can degrade another human and really scar them for the rest of their lives with Mm -hmm. that kind of commentary and so it was a rough start and then simultaneously i'm doing yoga and there's the you know accept who you are in this moment philosophy behind yoga and letting go of attachment to the physical needs and so i quickly realized i don't want to be part of hollywood i want to be part of yoga Mm-hmm. And that was a, a healing process for me. But then it turns out yoga is part of media as well. Mm-hmm. And especially as you gain traction and notoriety and you start getting photographed, then it is about how you look. And if you're in the wellness fitness world, I mean, it, we've been brainwashed to believe that a certain size and a certain aesthetic, mainly, you know, cellulite free, fat free, muscular, six pack means you're really healthy. And it turns out that is absolute and utter bullshit. And yet that's what we've been told. So we're attaining a look instead of a feeling. And that's something that I've struggled with. I really struggled with in Los Angeles because I felt like I needed to play the part. And even again, when I was tiny, people were like, I just love Catherine Budig because she's so strong. And yet look at her body. It just doesn't look like she is. And um, that always felt really good, you guys. That was real. Those are yeah. really nice compliments to get. Yeah. A lot of backhanded compliments, <laughs> but it was just like, this is my body. I mean, I'm petite, but I'm also just naturally. I don't get chiseled. I've, I have a softer physique, and it's called genetics. And mm-hmm. now, you know, I'm 36, and I'm getting this really fun thing called cellulite. It used to just be on my bottom, and it's spreading over the entire leg, and I could still kick someone's ass. I'm plenty strong. It's just you know, the metamorphosis of the body and trying to um, make peace with how the body changes, even though every time I open a magazine or even Instagram, I'm seeing perfect bodies. Yeah, Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. really hard to swallow. Yeah, And then also the pressure of, I'm in the wellness world, so I feel like I'm expected to look, people expect me to look a certain way, and that's Mm -hmm. my own shit, you know, that I need to deal with. But uh, it's still a daily, you know, sometimes I'm like, hell yeah, this meat suit is damn sexy, and the next day I'm like, oh God, bubble wrap me. (laughs) You know, it's just this oscillating ride that I'm always on. I feel like I don't know anyone who truly... I mean, I think we all go through periods of time when we, we feel better about ourselves or not as, or, or worse about ourselves. But I, I feel like nearly everybody, we're our own worst, worst critics and we all have some yes. level of, of, of body dysmorphia and we see something that nobody else sees, an imperfection that nobody else sees. But then when you couple that with this like horrific criticism that comes from the outside that's that's driven by society's insane notion of what constitutes a healthy or beautiful human being, and then you're actually getting... Those same doubt, self-doubts are now being reinforced by assholes on the outside telling you you have to look a certain mm-hmm. way. Well, Will, I'm curious yeah. with you know the functional medicine and all of the patients that you work with throughout the years, especially with the dawn of social media, have you noticed, and I mean, because I, I've worked with you personally and you've heard my sob story and things that, I mean, I, I was embarrassed to say to you, but I'm like, if we're going to make some progress, I need to be honest. Have you, with the clients you've worked with, seen a difference 
in yeah. body dysmorphia since social media? Yeah, it's a problem, and it's this never-ending vortex of of images and and pressures and conflicting information. We put people on social media detoxes just as much as we put people on actual really? health detoxes because you could be eating the best mm. food under the sun, but if you're serving your body a big slice of stress every day and, mm. and anxiety mm. and dread every day because it's at your fingertips, it's it's more available than food is for many people. It's a cortisol cocktail. Exactly. <laughs> It's cortisol, stress hormone, uh, it trigger all day long, definitely. That's yeah. amazing. So, so what do we do about it? What did you do about it? What are you doing about it? Well, here's the thing, and I think it's really important for anyone listening and for myself included to remember that there isn't a magic pill. No one will ever be fixed. And anyone who comes across as super body confident still struggles every day. I think that's really important to realize yeah. because we look at people and like, how did you master that? No one's mastered it. I think for me, what I've realized is I wallow for shorter amounts of time than I used to. Mm -hmm. Like I still fall into the hole, but I have through time and experience you know, built up my tool built of how to get out of that hole as opposed to just sitting down there and being like, I'm in a hole. Somebody help me. Okay, don't mm -hmm. help me. Actually, I'm mm -hmm. just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so it's, I don't know. Obviously, there's things like when I take care of my body, when I drink a ton of water, when I get enough sleep, when I'm eating clean, beautiful, nutritious food, I feel better about myself. When I'm sweating on a regular basis, mm -hmm. I feel better about myself. But then there's also this thing called life. And I travel for a living. I don't have, I have two fur babies. You know, hopefully we're going to have real human babies soon too. But like, there's all these things that get in the way of this idealistic, like I'm going to have my green juice and then I'm going to go work out and then I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. Like obviously that's not easily accessible for everyone. Catherine, I haven't so, had a green juice or eight hours of sleep in like five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just Word, for the As record. I like sip my champagne. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's, that, and that's the thing about the wellness world that pisses me off so much is that so much of the wellness world when it comes to media is like, that's what we're preaching. It's like, just do this and this and this. I'm like, who has time for that shit? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, I'm just happy if I sleep and drink enough water. I'm like, whoo, go me. I'm <laughs> yeah. hydrated today. You know? What are your thoughts on orthorexia in the wellness space? People, you know, having oh, these eating massive. disorders. What, what do you see? What's your, maybe your own experience with this? Well, I lived in LA for eight years. So it, it's, I had very close friends who, if you saw photographs of them, social media wasn't as big of a deal when I was in LA. It was just kind of starting, but you would be like, oh my God, they're so fit. I want their dream body. But I remember two friends in particular when they got really ripped and they didn't look too skinny, but they were really ripped. And I was just like, what are you doing? And this is so interesting. Both of their answers were, well, you know, I'm working out all the time and I'm not eating enough. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, wow, thank you for your honesty. Yeah. yeah. Because for me, I, I, I look at them and I'm like, oh God, I would love to look that way. But I am also the most prolific eater of all time. Like I really like to be surrounded by food. I like to cook it. I like to eat it. I like to smell it. I like to share it. I like to serve it. I like everything about food. And so that's just not an option for me. And I'm so glad that that's not an option for me because I just, I can't give that up. I can't quit it. Yeah. I just can't quit you. And <laughs> and I saw that in LA all the time. And then they hide behind. And a lot of them would also be like, you know, all week long, Monday through Friday, I'll do, you know, I'm doing air quotations, a juice cleanse mm -hmm. and doing something that is healthy 
and then they binge on the weekends and then they go back into, well, I juice during the week, which is just um, like a societally accepted version of an eating disorder is really what it is. And wellness sets us up for that, I think. Yeah, you know, that's scary. And even as you were saying in the world of health and wellness where we, you know, we're, we're constantly regurgitating the same loop cycle of, of, Oh, you got to do this. And this is the latest thing you have to do. And everyone really at the end of the day, there's a a lot of vanity tied into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it comes from a place of just looking for affirmation from the outside and not being, and listen, I'm as guilty of it as anyone else, but not being able to derive your affirmation from places that are really of, of substance from yourself, from your partner, from your community. And I think a lot of the things we talk about as, you know, the three of us talk about, it's it's good stuff, eating real food, taking care of yourself, it's good stuff, but it should always be done with the heart of not punishing your body or becoming obsessed with this stuff. True wellness and not aesthetic, right? But loving your body enough to fill it with good stuff. Don't Wouldn't you say that, Catherine? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, we don't own a scale in our house for that purpose. I've just had those kind of days before or weeks even where I'm like, I'm feeling good, my clothes fit, and then I'll step on a scale. And what the number that I see on the scale is not reflecting how I feel in my body, assuming that it's way heavier. And then I, that's when I'm like back in my hole, I go to my deep, dark place. And because that number is just that's not supposed to be my number. That means that I'm doing something wrong. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I haven't been this heavy before, but I thought I was okay. So we got rid of that because that was not doing us any favors whatsoever. And mm-hmm. I think actually, if I can offer a tool that's been really helpful for me, and I, I teach this in some of my workshops, mm-hmm. and this is not my theory, This is some, uh, it's called the, the default mode, the unconscious default mode. And uh, I, I first learned about this through Bo Forbes and the unconscious default mode is basically what we all slip into when we're not being conscious. And there have been studies where if you are a Buddhist monk, for example, a professional meditator who's been doing it every single day for years and years, the longest you can really stay out of that unconscious default mode is maybe seven to eight seconds. Hmm. And it's, it's just, I know, how screwed up is that? Which is, is almost a lifetime. Good luck. But it's where we slip into. I mean, if you're scrolling through Instagram, you're totally going into that unconscious default mode. Mm-hmm. And that's where we tell ourselves stories. That's where we you know slip into the habitual negative self-talk. That's the ticker tape of I am not good enough. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And two of the most proven ways to break the unconscious default mode is through attention to a task and through Mm. mindfulness, Mm. which is why I teach it in my yoga workshops because I'm trying to give them the tools to meditate so you've got your mindfulness and then attention to a task, which is the asana, the physical part of the practice that you get so like tuned into moving your body and like I'm gonna, I need you to do ABCD so you get out of this storytelling about yourself. Mm -hmm. And these are the two things I think if we can start practicing on a regular basis, Again, we'll never fix this. None of us are just going to be like, oh my God, I'm the sexiest human. And I think that 100% of the time. But I do think it starts to chip away at, you know, the deprecating yeah. like, tartar that is built up on our souls. You, you used yoga to kind of come to peace with your body. Fast forward to your first marriage. Can you tell us about that time in your life and the realization? I read somewhere that you had this realization the first year of your marriage. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, I was married to a man and we had been together for about three years before we got married. I was in Los Angeles when I met him. So, and this was towards the end 
of LA and I had had really poor experiences romantically where things didn't work. People were just concerned with their careers. I mean, relationships would last like a couple months and then career was more important. And I just was so, so starved for love. And when I met my ex-husband, he was living in the middle of Florida. He was just very not attached to career or anything like that. So it was just such a breath of fresh air for me at the time. Um, and so I, I left L.A. And I he was the complete antithesis of what I had normally been attracted to. And that was refreshing. But the unfortunate thing that I didn't realize until it was too late was that he was actually missing a ton of things that were very important to me in a partner. Um, and... I was also like peak career. I was about to release my second book. I was traveling almost every single week, lecturing and doing workshops and festivals. And it didn't allow me the time to actually connect with what was happening because I was just so focused on my career and everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, subconsciously, I think I knew even before we got married that it wasn't the right person. Mm-hmm. But... I had also told myself that um, when you're a little kid, you believe in fairy tales and all this amazing love and connection, and that's the things of stories. But when you actually become an adult, you meet a partner, and you don't have to have passion. You don't have to be madly in love with them. You just you find a partner, mm-hmm. and that's called being an adult. Right. So I was proud of myself because, of like, I'm an adult now. I chose a partner, not just like this fantasy of what I want in my life. Mm. Again another mistake yeah and and it uh backfired quite quickly um we were only married for a year before we separated and um everything you believe in is this notion of aiming true um yeah you know as as aiming towards your truth and yet there you were living a life where you weren't aiming true And I thought I was, you know, I had told myself that this is just what life is like and this is called reality. And I know so many people are in the same place that I was where they are not happy in their job or their relationship or what it is. But, you know, this is what's expected of me. You know, I'm going to continue to do this job because I'm really good at it. Not because I like it, but I'm good at it. So I should keep doing it. Right. Or I'm going to stay in this relationship because it's not miserable, but I'm not happy either. So I guess I should stay in it. Right. Or or I can fix it somehow. You know, I yes, can and it turns them. out fixing yeah. things is almost never the case. Right. You know, it's people show you in the beginning exactly who they are and what they will be. Yeah. And I did, there was a lot of commentary from him, like, I can't wait until I can be this, and I can't wait I can until right. do this for you. And I was just, it was, it was weaving a tail, and I yeah. loved stories, so I, right. you know, finally got to the end of the yarn, and I'm like, oh, well, there's nothing here. <laughs> so what gave you the bravery to say, this isn't for me, I don't want to play this role anymore? Well, it wasn't until, and plot twist, it wasn't until I met my now wife <laughs> that I woke up to, holy shit, like mm-hmm. this is true connection with another human and this is what real partnership and love feels like. And I was already unhappy and then I met her and it was scary because I just obviously gotten married and I was mm-hmm. like, what am I doing? What's happening? And then also, you know, I've only, I've been attracted to women and been with women throughout my life, but I've only been in romantic relationships with men until Kate, my wife. So there was also this component of like, okay, so my marriage isn't working and I'm in love with a woman. Who am I? Yeah. yeah like what the hell is going on? Is this going to last? Is this that I don't understand? You know? Right. Um, so a lot of confusion, but I just, 
I, I've had a lot of friends who have gone through divorce and and uh, partnerships falling apart. And I was talking to one of my best friends who had been married for you know, something like 14 years. And then she mm-hmm. found out her husband had cheated on her an absurd amount of times throughout their entire relationship. And, and she was like, you know, there is light on the other side. I know it feels mm-hmm. like this is the end of the world, but you will get past this and it's going to suck, but you're going to come out a brand new person. And I finally just woke up one morning and I was like, I'd rather be alone than be with him. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit, I had to find that it couldn't be, yeah. I'm going to replace him. I had to realize I'm okay with being alone. Yeah. And that was the magic moment for me right it's, there. Wow. It's a fucking amazing thing that happens when you learn to trust your gut. You I think yeah. we, I think we've all had these experiences where intuition has told us this isn't right, but then our brain gets in the way of our gut and our heart and says, "No, no, no, we can this this makes all the sense in the world whether it's in in partnership or in in business. Um we we tend to like not give enough credence to our our gut intuition. And I, my, it's been my experience that, that nine times out of 10, when you look back, you had the warning signs, you felt them, you knew them, but you didn't trust and believe in that. But it was also fine. You know, we were fine. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like a toxic environment to be in every day. It was just, wasn't, it just existed. So you met Kate, she's, she is wonderful. And you have yeah. this, this realization. So there's a different level. Your, your marriage is, is falling apart. You don't want it anymore. You, you are falling in love with Kate. Was there a certain next level uh, of, of pressure of, from a career standpoint? What are people going to think? I'm, I'm, I'm with a woman now. Or did that not pass through your mind? I, no, it totally passed through my mind. But it was also one of those things where I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Because I need to do what's going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pick my partners according to what is going to help or hurt my career. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, I kept quiet about it for a while because in the, the lovely state of South Carolina, you need to be legally separated for a full year before you can divorce, which is a really fun fact. Wow. Um, so during that really fun year of my life, I was not, sharing anything about her because I was trying to a respect, you know, my ex-husband as much as I <laughs> wanted to. Um, I wasn't trying to, to poke the bear and it was also mm-hmm. a time of transition. Yeah, and right. I didn't think it was fair to be throwing that in his face. And I also, it was really great for Kate and I, because we actually got to fall in love with each other, with each other and not through the lens of society or anyone else that we right. didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who got to witness us falling in love were our friends and our family, the way that, you know, ideally it's supposed to be. Yeah. And that was pretty magical. And then when I finally announced that I was with her, there was, as far as like, if you look at the comments, there was this onslaught of, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So much support. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, behind the scenes, the people who were following me started to dramatically drop. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where obviously the people who are accepting of fluidity when it comes to sexuality embrace it. And there are a lot of people who are very curious and have questions, but because of the way they're raised or their faith or, you know, just whatever it might be, they don't know how to feel right. about something like that. And that's their journey. You know, I'm not going to get mad at those people because they don't understand i really i'm very compassionate when it comes to people learning about social justice and things like this i don't believe in the like oh you're late to the party mythology you know i I think it's you just have to let lead people with love 
But um, yeah, I mean, there's been sticky moments. For sure. For those that don't know, we're talking about Kate. Can you tell everybody who your wife is? It's just for context. Sure. My wife is Kate Fagan. Um, She is a journalist. She's a phenomenal writer. She worked as a writer and journalist for ESPN, but she also uh, co-hosted many of their shows for many years. She recently left. We co-host a podcast called Free Cookies together. She's the author of two books. One of them just happens to be a number one New York Times bestseller, and that's called What Made Maddie Run. And she travels around universities lecturing about, uh, it was a nonfiction about the death of a young woman who took her life by suicide. And she goes around lecturing about the book and about mental health and helping collegiate athletes with that process. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. You know, I got to think that that time you took, that sort of uh, one year personal introspective time just to to get to know your partner and to do that without the lens of 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 the outside world judging you had to have been particularly for 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 someone who has struggled over a long period of time with the societal pressures of of judgment absolutely you know and tackling i think tackling something like divorce in itself is already so challenging and then the concept of tackling divorce on a public platform I mean, I have so much compassion for any form of celebrity who has to deal with that. I remember sitting in my best friend's daughter's playpen with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was hanging out in a playpen, <laughs> and it was the night that I was going to post about the fact that I was separated and getting divorced. And I remember feeling so much anger that I had to explain my own personal choices to thousands of people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because at this point, I hadn't posted about my ex-husband in a long time, and I would get comments regularly like, where's your husband? Why don't you talk about your husband? Something's going on. Oh, my God, the elephant in the room. And people <laughs> would have conversations about me on mm-hmm. my own yeah. thread, on my own page. Yeah. I'm like, fuck you. Like, that is not your business. But mm-hmm. I realized I had to sooner or later say something. And it was just really difficult to stomach because it's something that I wanted to do on my terms, which eventually I did, but... You know, it's and this doesn't. This is applicable to people who have a, a, any small sliver of celebrity or not. Like learning to do things on your terms and not because something is, is expected of you. And when it's that personal, like you don't rush that process. Right. You. It takes so much time to learn those lessons and and what you feel confident in and what you're not comfortable with and and I think no matter how angry you are at another person, especially if it's a partnership, like there is a level of respect that you should maintain for them. Because regardless of how dirty it may get, there you know there was someone that you loved right, there of course, before, yeah. and yeah. trying to respect even if that's a ghost now, respecting that. Yeah. What would so, you tell somebody yeah. that is living their life and they aren't living the life they want to live? They feel that pressure to just keep going. It's not that bad. I'm just gonna live my life. I don't love my job. I don't love my relationship, but it's not the worst. What would you tell somebody? I I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do something cliche like life is short, but I, I, it's really hard. I wish there was a sentence that I could utter that could wake someone out of that mist and get them back into a place where they're happy. But obviously no one's figured that out because here we still are. You know, it's truly one of those things where you have to just live through experience and hopefully you have that moment where you realize enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't, 
I'm also not a big believer in like do what 100% lights you up and that you're mm-hmm. super passionate about because I, I also think that there are things that are sacred that you keep for yourself. Like some of the things I'm most passionate about, I never, like I never, I, I thought I wanted to open a restaurant because I'm like, I'm super passionate about food and I'm going to open a restaurant. And then I realized, oh my God, if I open a restaurant, it might legitimately kill my passion for food mm-hmm. and I would be taking away one of the, the, the brightest lights in my life if I do that. You know, so I don't think the answer is like, follow your passion. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, but it's also like, if you can't feel on a daily basis and you're just, you know, checking in and checking out on your card every day, like that's where you need to maybe take a moment, step back and reassess what it is in life that you have to look forward to. That it, Like, are you growing? Are you challenging yourself? Are you stepping outside yeah. of the box? Like there should always be something that makes you slightly uncomfortable and I know that doesn't sound comforting, but that's slight serving of discomfort means evolution. Yeah. And ideally we're constantly evolving as people, as partners, ideally as partners, you evolve together, right? That's the dream goal. Mm-hmm. But if you're evolving and your partner isn't, and they're just way behind you, it's maybe it's time to reassess mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. I also think marriage is kind of archaic. I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, yeah. And part of the reason that Kate and I got married, we didn't get married for romantic reasons. We got married to protect our union as people in a same-sex marriage. And we want to have a family and we want to protect our family. And mm-hmm. with the political environment we're in, we just don't know. Yeah. You know, we want to have the, the same rights as a heterosexual couple is given. And um, But as far as marriage, like to me, it's a contract. Mm-hmm. It's not romantic. Love is romantic. Marriage is a contract. Yeah. And and I think if people really wrap their brains around that one as well, that could prevent and change a, a lot of <laughs> uh, potential pain. Yeah. Hey, tell us about free cookies. What? Yo. Tell yeah. us about free cookies because everybody loves free cookies. Everybody loves free cookies. And that's why we named it free cookies because who doesn't want free cookies? Uh, we are in season three of free cookies right now. I'm sitting next to our producer, Lindsay Collins, who is another Charlestonian badass. And um, <laughs> we we just, we, season one was through ESPN. And so it was more oriented towards wellness and sports and lifestyle. And then we broke free in season two and it was ours and it was no longer with Disney. So we just said fuck all the time. I'm kidding. Well, not really. (laughs) Um, But we really let loose in season two and the whole premise behind free cookies is having the conversations with each other and with people that are humming below the surface. We also range topics from like laughing about how do you sit on a toilet seat if you're in a public bathroom uh-huh. to what is it like to get misgendered? You know, so our conversations can be very serious, completely like bathroom humor. Uh, they fluctuate all over the place. A lot of banter between Kate and I. And um, it's just a happy place for us. It's, it's a place for us to, we love ideas and we love to talk and the free cookies, that's the ideas. Like the image that we had when we started, this was someone's brain, you know, being opened up and all like music notes and books and basketballs and all this stuff came in out of their head. And that's the cookie jar. Those are the free cookies. Right on. Well, where can people get your leggings, your books, (laughs) your your goodness and vibes? Where, Where can we find all things Catherine Budig? I mean, that's the name that you need to know. All my handles are at Catherine Budig. My website is Catherine Budig. Uh, Free Cookies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or at freecookiespodcast.com. And then my collection is on Kira Grace. 
com. Or if you're in Charleston, South Carolina, you can shop it at Small by Hamden, which is a locally owned boutique. And I'm all about supporting my local friends and all of their endeavors. Right on. Catherine Budig, thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome. You are loved, (laughs) Catherine Budig. That's for sure. I love you too very much. Thank you, guys. So as you guys know, I'm a chef and I'm always in the kitchen. It's it's my job to be in the kitchen. But I also really love just to be in the kitchen. Sometimes it's easier though for me to grab something on the go. I don't have time to make myself lunch and I you know, I pretty much have this habit of eating what I call the big ass salad every day. So I appreciate there are now more and more places that cater to this like Sweet Green, one of my favorite spots. Sweet Green is redefining fast food. Every day across 95 restaurants, over 4,000 team members at Sweetgreen make seasonal salads and bowls from scratch. They use sustainably sourced ingredients. They rotate them based on what's in season and what's fresh, which is the best part. The other thing I love about Sweetgreen is that it feels like there's one on every corner in New York and Los Angeles, which are two cities where I happen to spend a lot of time. If you haven't been into a sweet green lately, they're currently serving from their early summer menu. That includes the elote bowl, which means corn for all of you that don't speak Spanish out there, which is especially great if you're a vegetarian. It's got roasted corn, peppers, local goat cheese, and organic arugula. I also love the spring chicken option with shredded kale. To try out Sweetgreen's new menu, visit sweetgreen.com and find the closest Sweetgreen to you. And if you're ordering online, download the Sweetgreen app, which makes it even easier and comes to you with some great perks. And I am a huge fan of the Sweetgreen app because you can go into Sweetgreen and you can pay in an instant and your food is ready and you don't have to wait. Wow, thanks for tuning in to our chat with Catherine Budig. I am, you know, the more I get to know this human, the more I really adore her. Yeah, she's amazing. She's great. Such a cool thing. One, one of the things that just, we, we were talking about this, and, and Catherine went through a pretty amazing evolution where she kind of went through struggling with um, coming to terms with and accepting and coming to love her body. And then that seemed like it was just part of the journey, and the real completion of the journey was coming to terms with and accepting and loving herself and loving who she was. That sort mm-hmm. of distillation of of essence of self, which I thought was really, I don't know, it was really, really, um, really brave of her, and also high, incredibly inspirational. Yeah, and just to, to see this evolution in someone's life was really important for me to hear, just because we are all evolving we're all changing and we need to really take inventory of what we want out of life because life is freaking short it's so cliche but it just is and the fact that she could just really speak her truth and and to live the life that she wanted to live yeah what a great conversation well if you want to take classes with her online you can go to yogaglow.com that's g-l-o and you can also check out Catherine's podcast free cookies got a question you'd like us to answer the Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, the reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, everybody. Now it's time for Ask Me Anything. This is a question from one of our listeners from Stephen. He wants to know, what's the quickest way to reset your gut's microbiome? What a great question. Will, what do you think? Well, your microbiome is the term for the trillions of bacteria in your gut. And why people are talking about gut health and microbiome health is because it's 
like 75% of our immune system. And Hippocrates, you know, the father of modern medicine. He was a real hypocrite. Yeah, super hip. He was, but every doctor takes the Hippocratic oath. And also he, hypocrites. Yeah. And he said, he said, all disease begins in the gut. And now uh-huh. we're catching up to what Hippocrates said that a lot of health problems begin in the gut. So that's why someone would want to reset their gut microbiome. The best way you have to start with food. Hold on, back up. What yeah. does it mean reset? Well, that's a good question. I think it's a nice English word uh, for bringing balance or improving the health of the microbiome. So basically, the more balanced someone's microbiome, the better their health's going to be. And that impacts your immune system, your brain, your hormones, all the stuff that you want to be optimized. So I think the question from Stephen when he said reset, that's what he meant. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have a healthy microbiome, it starts with food. Start The more variety of plant foods you eat is associated in the, in the scientific literature to have a more a healthy microbiome diversity of healthy bacteria, which is a good thing for our body. Uh, so having a variety of food, rotating the food, eating seasonally, getting dirty in you know mm-hmm. the cleanest sense <laughs> <laughs> but basically going outside being in nature having pets these are all associated with a healthy gut microbiome that's it for today thanks for hanging out with us will and i would love to know what you think about goop fellas if you have a chance please rate and review the podcast here and if you like what you're hearing hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend to see more head to goop.com slash goop and we hope you'll be here again next wednesday talk soon